1: difficult conclusion as we decided to mutually part ways with Carlos. This was not an easy decision for us. It was not an easy decision for Carlos. Back on November 1st, as many of you attended, we officially hired Carlos Beltran to be our new manager. At that time, we were unaware of the Astros' situation. On Monday, the commissioner's report and findings were released. As an organization, it's important for everyone to know that we strongly believe in fair competition, and its importance in professional sports. We appreciate Major League Baseball's thorough investigations, findings, and decisions. On Wednesday morning, Jeff and I met with members of the commissioner's office in Manhattan. Following that meeting, Jeff and I flew to Port St. Lucie to meet with Carlos, where he was holding meetings with his coaching staff. This morning, Jeff and I again met with Carlos and came to this difficult conclusion. In In talking to Carlos, It was clear how challenging it was going to be for him to effectively manage the team going forward. Following this decision, we will now begin to discuss who will be our next manager. Having just gone through this process, we have a number of qualified internal and external candidates who we will be considering. It's our hope to announce a new manager in the near future. Until then, we won't speculate on our process. But whomever our manager will become, he will have a tremendous coaching staff already in place that we've assembled over the last several weeks.
2: It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Friday, January the 17th, 2020. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. You want to send me an email? Mike Silva at com. Well, as I uh, have been tweeting over at Mike Silva Media for the last couple of days, uh, I would come in with an emergency podcast. So much for the sleepy January as we were just kind of gliding into spring training. Pitchers and catchers less than a month away. I talked about how um, we were just going to you know, do a little Hall of Fame talk, maybe talk about uh, the Mets uh, roster. I was planning on going into the the salary arbitration and who the Mets should sign up long-term. All these things I had planned, and I know I had some travel plans that pushed Sunday's podcast back, which turned out to be a really good thing because, wow, what a wild and wacky week we just saw. Uh, I agree with, I think Andy Martino of SNY said it best. There was a lot of emotion, a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. It actually took me a couple of days to think about how I was going to approach this podcast and bring you kind of my take on what has been a wild 72 hours. There was no scenario that I could have thought about coming to you right now and and having this conversation. And you really don't have these kind of days in sports anymore. And I think back okay, what what are some of the days that that are like what we saw with Carlos Beltron for the Mets, the sign stealing, uh, what happened, and and I think in a lot of ways this whole thing was worse for the Mets because they were collateral damage and it was unexpected than it certainly was for the Astros. And maybe to a lesser degree, the Red Sox, I think once Cora's name was in there, the Red Sox knew there were going to be issues, and I know the Red Sox are being investigated as well. So there's still more to be had when it comes to the sign stealing. I think back to Billy Martin and the wildness of George hiring and firing Billy Martin, the Columbus shuttle back in the 80s, you know, George Steinbrenner and and the Yankees announcing on Old Timers Day how Billy Martin's coming back. I think that was 1978 or 79 or something like that. I mean, this wild stuff about how you hire and fire a manager and the the drama of the Bronx Zoo. I think to uh, Bill Belichick, there was actually recently uh, a piece on ESPN. It was 20 years ago where Bill Belichick became the head coach of the Jets and uh, resigned as head coach of the Jets Watt one day, Uh, the uh, HC of the NYJ. I think that was a wild time. And I think back to, and I said this as I was reading, and I think it might have been Ian O'Connor of ESPN, how, what would happen on Twitter if that scenario came to play? And really, over the last 48 hours going into yesterday afternoon, uh, the Mets were experiencing their own Belichick moment, except Beltran didn't want to step down. Uh, And we'll get to that. But this, to me, what happened over the last couple of days is the worst day uh, certainly I think the Mets have had since uh, the mid-'80s in, in, uh, in the team's history. It's probably the second worst day, and, and maybe I'm being overly dramatic here, but I think the only other worst day this team has had is 1977 uh, and Tom Seaver, and Tom Seaver being traded in the fallout there. And, and I think that the, the problem here is I don't think all of this is their fault. Actually, very little of it to none of it is their fault. But I, I, you have to unpack this in a few ways, so bear with me. There's the sign stealing, and personally, my take is where MLB has dropped the ball here. We could blame the Astros. We can talk about technology and what are we going to do with the game going forward. But the M- MLB dropped the ball here, and that's not a surprise because historically they, they do that. Uh, there's the Mets and how they handled Beltron, and then again, there's the media. There's the media and the, and the climate we're in right now and what we have to understand as we go forward, because for you to be able to consume and understand and enjoy this game, especially with this team here in this town, you have to understand what the media is up to here, and it ain't a lot of good. And they, they, they show their ugliest head, and they won't admit that, and they'll they'll turn it around on everybody else, blaming them when they're the innocent bystander. But they got a lot of blood on their hands here as well. You can't praise the smartest man in the room, and that's where I'll start. You can't praise the smartest man in the room and get mad when they outsmart you. Uh, The media can't build up the Astros and laud them for innovation. You can't write books about them. Uh, I remember the height of stupidity, I thought, was back in July when, as they were trying to acquire a starting pitcher, pretty much every pitcher that was on the market was oh the Astros are going to fix them in five minutes and all the data and all the technology and all the things that they do they're just smarter than everybody else that was the narrative. Aaron Sanchez gets acquired after struggling with the Blue Jays for a couple of years, a former top prospect, and I think his first outing he went what six shutout innings and I think no hit, uh, you know maybe a no hitter through those six innings. And I was reading the the, the tweets and oh the Astros, look they fixed them. I mean, then the guy wound up being back to Aaron Sanchez and has a shoulder problem, and, and apparently, oh, wow, the Astros actually have pitchers that get hurt just like everybody else. Uh, so the media built the team up, and in competitive environment with his winning or misery, and, and they they cover sports with winning, winning or misery, all sports, and you only have 30 jobs out there, and those 30 jobs have subsets of those 30 jobs where everybody's basically uh, playing musical chairs, competing, for the same exact uh, prize, and you can't expect there not to be some cutthroat activities. That's against human nature. And what we saw here was a beyond the pale. And you saw management turn a blind eye, and you saw a league turn a blind eye. But I think to believe that this wasn't something that in the modern day world of uh, sports and how people treat it as gambling and how everything is is winning or misery, I can't believe that it, anybody's surprised that teams would go to extremes to to win the prize. But remember one thing, why we're here today. And I said this on Twitter back in October, and I glazed over it when we've had podcasts since then, because it's been an Astros issue. This never was a Mets issue until they hired Carlos Beltran and until he got dragged in uh, to an old story, uh, two years old, that was brought up to the forefront uh, now. A player who was a player, a player that was a player back then. That's not a player now. But if Tobman, if Brian Tobman, doesn't do what he did during the post-game celebration against the Yankees in the ALCS, and you know, confront that reporter about Asuna, as, a reporter by the way that baited him. And look, be it far from me to talk politics here, and there's nothing wrong. With being anti-domestic violence. We know that. But if you go to your workplace and you wear a pin or a political hat or anything that has a point of view with a polarizing topic, when that goes bad for you, don't be surprised. That's my advice to you. Those are things that you should do on your personal time. And if you're not and you're bringing them to the workplace, you're looking for attention. Now, that doesn't excuse and he, an, he was a jerk and he shouldn't have done what he did. But the way that that was handled by the the Astros, the way that the media has felt all year that the Astros have been treating them poorly, throwing members out of their uh, their clubhouse, they had to come in the Astros. And I said that night, trust me, they're going to start doing a proctology exam. And I said that, a proctology exam on the Astros. Now, they made it easy for them. Uh, it came very quickly after the World Series. But they were going to find ways to bring the Astros down. I don't even think the media realized how famously they would bring the Astros down. Now, remember, if that doesn't happen that night, if the Yankees don't win that night, this is the amazing part. Mike Fires has no reason to come out. He probably never comes out. The media proctology exam doesn't happen. MLB doesn't wind up having to suspend Lundhau and Hinch because they were never going to do any kind of investigation on this. They were just going to tell teams, stop it and hope that it went away. That's the MLB way. Uh, Alex Cora is still in Boston. And Carlos Beltran now could continue to focus, as he did as recently as uh, Wednesday, on his new gig. And, and I see all the anger towards the Astros and, and what's going on in baseball, and I understand that. But I don't see any anger towards MLB. Because the funniest part here is that the only thing MLB has done over the last nearly three years since the Astros won the World Series and since that 2017 season where a lot of this stuff, I think, uh, started to come to a head is after an Apple Watch incident with the Red Sox and the Yankees uh, back in September of 2017, uh, they only wrote a memo warning teams. They did nothing. They didn't investigate. What, do you think this is a brand new? You think November 12th when the Athletic and Ken Rosenthal and team came out with some stuff? And there's subsequent reporting later. You think this is the first time anybody has heard of it? Or there weren't whispers of it? MLB continues to be reactive to issues in their game. It's why you had the World Series canceled in 1994. It's why the steroid era happened. And now why this happened. And you know what's the funniest part? Is that the biggest phony in MLB... Is, it's, well, there's so many phonies. Uh, phonies in the commissioner's office. Uh, phonies throughout the game is that their, quote-unquote, chief baseball officer, Joe Torre, who's been a phony and exposed himself for the kind of phony he was back in 2000 uh, with the Piazza, a Clemens bat-throwing incident. Uh, Joe Torre, who's supposed to be in charge of the on-the-field situations as the chief baseball officer in the league, uh, it does nothing. I mean, if I'm Rob Manfred, yes, this is under my watch. I take accountability. And he certainly came down on Houston but destroyed collateral teams along the way. And, and probably, uh, from a standpoint of the Astros, some field didn't go hard enough from a player development standpoint because they lost a couple of draft picks first and second round. But, you know, we all know that draft picks may or may not pan out. He didn't attack them uh, anymore in the international pool or, or go that much harder long-term for their success. They lost their GM and their manager, and who knows? Maybe those guys were you know hitting the end of their road. Uh, but... Joe Torre would be the guy that I'd say if I'm Rob Manfred, what have you been doing? You know, this league now has got a big problem. Uh, you're their chief baseball officer. What did you do? Where have you been on all this? You know, Manfred's uh, up to his eyeballs and issues with collective bargaining and what have you. But typical Joe Torre fashion, he does nothing. He hopes things go away. He, you know, goes to dinners. He, you know, maybe he'll, uh, you know, you know have a pensive face on the sidelines when you see him in, uh, you know, whatever's. Seat he is behind home plate when there's an issue during big games. Nothing. Because Joe Torre is a do-nothing crony appointment. That's always what he's been. And he got lucky over a five-year period with the Yankees where he was right place, right time. And he's run his entire managerial career hoping that right place, right time happens. And now when you're in the big seat as an MLB official, there's a lot of things that aren't right time, right place for you. Uh, he botches things like hats on 911. Chase Utley's slide, rules have been changed on his watch to react and and take feckless positions like collisions and blocking of home plate, and the way now that you can't even slide into second base without uh, being afraid of being called out. The game is a different game. I don't want to say it's a worse game, but uh, I think some people would argue that it's a worse game. In an era of iPads and camera angles and how we could watch a damn game just about any way, any time from our homes... What made you think this wasn't going to happen? And the best part here is, is that they actually started to put some security in place at these video replay rooms. And of course, again, the chief baseball officer, he puts no, uh, or whoever works for him, because it's not just him, uh, there's no standards or management or accountability. So some guys from what uh, The Athletic reported were taking that job seriously. Some were aiding and abetting uh, the players because they're jock sniffers and they're trying to uh, you know, be part of the cool kids crowd. So, of course, it's all window dressing. Hopefully it goes away. That's the uh, the the MLB way. The NFL could put communications in a quarterback's helmet and have been doing it for years and not have a problem. And, yeah, they've had their own problems with the flake gate and cameras and, and Belichick and things like that. Um. But baseball can't do anything about it, that it gets to the point where their game has to be embarrassed and they have to ruin ruin one team in the way that has absolutely, has been doing nothing but do the right thing this offseason. Trying to rebuild their front office, rebuild and have a, uh, a, a team and a, and a field team that's on the same page, something that hasn't been going on in a long time. They have to get it to the point where all this comes out, all this is ruined, and now the story, at least for now until there's games and action, will not go away. There'll be more players that they'll accuse. There'll be more stories coming out, and who the hell knows what's going to happen with the Red Sox. This is all because, again, MLB sits on their hands, and they're hypocrites. The same league that preaches integrity and acts like baseball's church is the same league that if you go back to 2013 and read how they went after A-Rod— Basically, had investigators working for my, Rob Manfred, may I add you, uh, that acted like, you ever see Ray Donovan, the series on Showtime, The Fixer? That's essentially what these guys were doing at A Rod, paying cash to dig up dirt on a guy. MLB. MLB. That's what you're dealing with. That's who's coming down with the rulings. That brings me to the Carlos Beltran portion of the news. And this is almost where, like I said, in the, in the in, you know, what I call this, the Greek tragedy here. Beltron hasn't been in uniform for two years, two plus years. His role in this is no different than George Springer, Carlos Correa. I know that Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman now, there's some suspicion. Geez, there's a, a video of, uh, of Reddick out there, the outfielder. And I don't know if it's doctored, where it. you, in you, a post game celebration, right there in front of everybody's face, we'll go and we'll look at what shoes a player's wearing. But if that's a true photo where there's that piece on his chest, where he has the buzzer, and nobody saw it till now? What does that say for us? Our priorities are screwed up. Like We can focus on everything, but we're not looking for it because that wasn't the team we were mad at. So basically we needed to have a scapegoat for the players. Because the Players Association and the whole immunity piece that came with this investigation, then the, you, you, the MLB's not going after them with an arbiter. They don't want their dirty laundry getting aired out. They don't want to take on right now. And I, I guess I don't blame them take on the players association with labor unrest and, and two years away from possibly uh, work stoppage. They had to make somebody the scapegoat. So they throw Beltron's name in there. And then you have the media acting like the guy works for the geek squad that he was out there, at Minute Maid Park in the outfield, wiring cameras with somebody from Best Buy because he's one of the masterminds with Alex Cora. He's not a, He wasn't management at that time. He's a manager now. And I guess you could be concerned, well, if he did that in Houston, what makes him think he's not going to do that in New York? Well, the hope is, unlike the Astros, unlike that front office and that culture... Uh, and I think with uh, Fred Wilpon, for all his ills, that you could talk about what the, the Wilpons are or aren't and what you think of Brody and, and, and where his background comes from as a an agent and a salesman. I don't think that that would have happened here. I don't think that that was what they were all about. I actually find it quite amusing that people think, and if this is what the case, then A.J. Hinch, who was lauded as this great manager, uh, wasn't, that the way they describe the Astros, they spent most of their time not even practicing baseball— Focusing on sign stealing and, and running to a TV. To me, if that's what they've been doing, damn. They either had the best system in the world ever or they're the best players in the world that all, all they needed was that extra cheating because with all that focus and energy towards a non-baseball activity, I'm amazed that they were able to actually focus and win any games and actually swing the bat and compete because to me, if my energy's focused on something other than my craft, to the extent where everyone's making it out to be, which it's probably not, it's, it's bad, but it's probably something that was a secondary piece or tertiary or, or a big advantage that is being blown out to be something that they were obsessed with. Um, I just can't see how that's happening. What's funny, though, is that here's Beltron, who's now no longer employed by a Major League Baseball team and may never work in the game again. This is the same sport that probably at some point, and it may happen as early as today, you'll read something or come across something on the internet or be on MLB Network that'll laugh at stories about spitballs at Gaylord Perry that will show a replay of the 1986 NLCS and Mike Scott and talk about Mike Scott's scuff ball that'll replay George Brett's pine tar game. Uh, I mean, for crying out loud, Steve Phillips, and you know if he's being truthful to his credit, you know, talked about how Bobby Valentine used to you tried to use a camera to decode signs. Tim Flannery came out, the former big leaguer coach with the Giants, and talked about how and he mentioned Valentine, did a great piece that I shared on uh, uh, on Twitter about how it's this nuanced part of the game sign stealing and how he would use and know the teams that did it and he talked about Valentine and the Mets and he would t- he said that how it, it, he he would use that to his advantage and change the signs or, or put it against them. See, I feel if you put a lot of energy into this stuff, this nuance, and it blows up in your face, it stops it. You know, gamesmanship is part of baseball. And, yes, technology can be used to our detriment. You see it in a lot of wakes of life. But, I mean, come on. <laughs> you really... You, you really didn't know that this was something that could happen. And if it's, it's not going to stop at technology. Someone's going to try to do something else. They've been trying to steal signs for a while. Change the signs. I mean, Alex Cora was part of that. The Red Sox had no issue because if they, if they were doing it, they knew other teams were doing it. They played the Astros in a postseason series. They probably put controls in place. But that's hard work. And that requires thinking. And sometimes in baseball, that's not in vogue, because everybody wants to sit back and believe that things are going to be easy. And a lot of people in baseball have jobs, and they show up to games, and they do a little here, a little there, but they don't all all work hard. Uh, Trust me on that. The thing about Carlos Beltran is that we needed, as a society, more so the media, needed a scapegoat. The Carlos Beltran part of this story was started with the media, namely Joel Sherman, and Ken David off here locally, at least, and Ken Rosenthal as well nationally. This was made noisy by the media, and was reported as the will of the people by the media when it was no will of Mets fans. Look, you want to take my unscientific BS poll on Twitter that said about three out of every four Mets fans wanted Beltron to stay, um, and and make that as the as the will of the people? I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't suggest that, but I'll tell you what. I think a large percentage, maybe not 75%, but close to it, I think, of Mets fans feel, this is crazy. Why are we even having this conversation? This was the way, and Beltran was the way, of putting the cherry on top of their narrative. They're not going to go after Altuve and Bregman. And Scott Boris, who's a powerful agent, already made sure that his guys, who probably are guilty of doing something and using buzzers, are never going to get to the forefront. And baseball doesn't have the spine or the, or the guts to take this any further. They did what they had to do. They did their showmanship. The media aided and embedded embedded them. This was their Netflix drama. And the best part about all this is that the Mets wind up doing what they wanted What they screamed about. And it's funny is that they acted like the Mets sat and hid in their office under the desk for two days when the Mets spent a lot of time trying to make sure they made the right decision. They even went to MLB in their offices and discussed this with Rob Manfred on Wednesday. So while we're all sitting around saying, say something, do something. There we go again, the do something, anything crowd that thinks that we just got to do things to run our businesses because Twitter says we should run our businesses a certain way. They were trying to do something. They were trying to do the right thing and make a very thoughtful decision. And do I think they did the right thing? I don't know. Uh, I don't. Um, But I know that there's a lot of emotion and a lot of raw feelings from this. So certainly there was a lot of thought put into this. This wasn't the compassionate thing to do. Um, This is not the redemption or the second chance story that the media likes to perpetuate. And I'll tell you what, this guy who you could argue may or may not have been a Hall of Famer, and I was leaning towards he is a Hall of Famer, but I'll tell you what, they're going to punish him on that too. They're going to punish him. Unless for some reason um, attitude towards him changes in the next couple of years, Um, he's going to be punished. The funniest part about this is that he lied. Well, he lied to the media. Joel Sherman texted him while he was out of the country on his anniversary. For God's sakes, you know what Beltron did wrong in that? He gave a half-assed answer. That's what he did. He should have said, "I really don't have a comment. I've got to learn more about this. I've got to, you know, this is an MLB issue. I'll get back to you." Um, he tried to answer the question, and it's like me saying, "Do you know anything about these cameras that were set up?" Uh, I really don't know about anything about a camera setup. Did I use the cameras? Sure, I used the cameras. Now, maybe Beltran uh, acted with the lie of omission because he figured it would go away. He may have been acting out of the oath of the clubhouse. You know, everybody says, keep it in the clubhouse. You can't, you know, talk about what goes on behind closed doors. Well, these guys grew up in a different era, and they may be looking at it that way. And that's what got him fired. The lie of omission, or maybe a communication over text message. Any of you guys know in this audience, the worst possible way to communicate. A complicated, emotional, important situation is through text message. It's so much a misinterpretation. A phone call on the phone is the way to go. But of course, that's the gotcha moment for the media. And that's what Joel Sherman made it about. He's been making it about himself from day one. Mets did everything that they asked. And then I see articles from all these same guys. Well, hopefully they got it right. You know, they could have done the other way, they could have stood by uh, Beltron. This is what's going on, and the and the part that's the the shame of this all, which is really the Greek tragedy of it all, is that you started to see the potential in Beltran, the Stroman comment on Twitter about how blown away he was in his conversations, the work that Beltran was uh, doing, you know, uh, as he's putting his staff together, uh, to start to think about, you know, how to improve Edwin Diaz and 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 build back Ioannis Cespedes. And, and really get the most out of these very promising young players like JD Davis and Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil. Batances and Porcello signing here and taking less money. You think that Batances signs here um, without Beltron? Maybe, but I think Beltron made it a lot more enticing to him, him coming here. Um, the players I believe we're seeing. How he they were putting it all together. The Mets were finally getting things going in the right direction. And as I said to Bob Clapish when we talked about Beltron and Beltron as a as a manager on this show back in October, he's every version of every player on this roster. He's been the promising rookie. He's been Pete Alonso at the top of the sport. Uh, he's struggled like Edwin Diaz has struggled coming here to New York. He's been a fading star potentially like Uranus Cespedes or Robinson Cano at the end of his career. So he can identify and was going to be able to put those guys, hopefully, in positions where they could get the most out of their talent because I think that that's what he did at every stage of his career. And he came here knowing the devil. And if you believe the report by Tim Healy on Newsday and you believe his sources, even as recently as yesterday, he wanted to stay. He wanted to stay. Here's a guy who made over $200 million in his career. He's rich. He seems like he has a nice family. He wanted to do this job. He wanted the job. You think you or I, I personally, with that kind of money, I'd want to deal with Joel Sherman or Mike Puma or listen to me and the fans whine about his pitching changes in the sixth inning? And what really bothers me in it, and again, this is all information, you don't know what's true and what's not, is that I believe Brody wanted to keep him. Uh, Omar Manaya, who has a very influential voice in the Mets front office, wanted to keep him. And it was the Wilpons, and I believe I believe Fred mainly, that wanted to push him out because they can't handle the deep end of the pool. And that's why they're going to lose the team. What they, how they allowed public opinion to push this man out and not take a hard stand and quickly and decisively make a statement and tell everybody in a nice way, back off. That's why they're going to lose this team. Because that's who they've been from day one. Same guy who would preach integrity that thought there was nothing wrong with 50% returns of his investments with a guy named Madoff. And I hate going that route because that's a lazy media uh, way of, of analyzing things. But it's true is going to talk to these guys about integrity. Baseball and media has no integrity. There's very little of it. There are people that have it, and you know who they are. And there's people that are, that usually a lot of the guys that I praise and I talk highly of, those are the guys that come on this show that have integrity because I respect them a hell of a lot. But for every one of those guys, there's five that are are, are just as miserable human beings as anybody else that I've met in my career. And I don't have a media career. I do this secondary I do this because I love it, because I love talking about the team, and I love interacting with you. But I got to tell you, sometimes I thank God that the primary way of me earning income is not doing this stuff because there's miserable, miserable people. And you saw a lot of that over the last couple of days. I don't know one iota what kind of owner Steve Cohen will be other than the fact that he's got a really nice net worth. But I think, and let's hope, that he won't give a crap about what people think because if he did, he wouldn't be as successful on Wall Street as he is. The team was handed to the media on Thursday. They now believe they control the team and they call the shots. They're even trying to hire the next manager. How hard are they trying to get Terry Collins hired? They want Terry Collins or Buck Showalter because those guys are going to make their job better, not because they're the right guys for the team. And let me tell you something. They're coming for Brody, and he knows it. I don't think he's stupid. He's on the clock. This team... If this team even struggles one iota, I don't care what their record is, the minute there's a a valley, and there's going to be more valleys, I mean, the baseball season usually doesn't start with uh, the first challenge or the first thunderbolt, I like to call them, in January. You know, unless there's a, a player injury, they're coming after Brody. They want him fired. He doesn't leak. He does things his own way. He doesn't need them. Deep down, he doesn't really, he's another guy. You think he needed this job? He was making a ton of money as an agent. But he wants to do this because it's a challenge, because it's something he loves. And you have to admire that. Media guys can't understand that because I think a lot of them hate their jobs or at least hate the way that the jobs are now or what they're doing. Some of them fancy themselves as White House reporters. Believe me, none of them are. You know who I'm talking about. You know who those people are. There are positives, and this has been the worst day in franchise history. And maybe you guys will disagree, and I'd love to hear you say what your thoughts are on this at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. This is the worst day in franchise history since Seaver. And for me, I wasn't around for Seaver. I was born in 1977. So for me, this this has been the worst day, I think, in franchise history as an organization. It's not even their fault. But I will tell you there are positives. We'll take a quick break. When I return, I'm going to let you know why Not all hope is lost, and there is some phoenix rising from the ashes, namely Pete Alonzo. We'll be back with more right after this.
3: Well, obviously the Mets need a manager, and they need to get one quickly. What's the timeline for this, and who are they looking at? Uh, Luis Rojas, the quality control coach, is the first name that came to me through sources after this Beltron news went down. Uh, He's going to be a candidate. That's definitely someone uh, to look at. Uh, from there, you have Hensley Mullen the bench coach. He did interview with the Yankees a couple years ago. Didn't get that job and wasn't particularly close to getting that job, I heard. So mm. that's one place they might look. No Buck Show, Walter, no very experienced guy. Just the guys they were very close with, Eduardo Perez. If they didn't want to call Buck Showalter or Dusty Baker in October, it would be a big leap for that to change now. Terry Collins? Terry's not going to be a candidate. He's not? I love the guy. I love his press conferences, and I like his managing. But he's not someone who they consider a candidate for this. Eduardo Perez back in the folder, no. I don't know that for sure yet. I know he had a great interview in October. He was one of the three finalists, and he could have gotten that job. He was close. I don't know if he would want. I haven't talked to Eduardo enough to say that I don't know if he would want a job that he was the runner-up for wasn't chosen for back in october
2: all right we're back and if you haven't figured out yet there's not going to be a guest uh, today well you know what uh it's only going to be me because there's a lot to talk about and uh we'll have to have a nine hour podcast if we got opinions and guests and mailbags and things like that one other quick thing that I want to make sure I'm clear before I get to, you know, next, as you heard, Andy Martino, what's next? Because that's what we could talk about. Uh, We just outlined what went wrong here, and it's really just a—the Mets are almost a a, a collateral victim. They they are a collateral damage victim. Uh, This idea that the Mets should have been questioning Carlos Beltran during an interview process about the Astros when they interviewed the man in October is ludicrous, First of all, an interview process is not about media gossip. It's not about Twitter. It's not about what—you what, know, you talk about the media and how you handle the media. That's certainly part of the job, and, and that was a big part of their conversations. But they're not talking about, well, you know, there's this this story out there. Uh, let's talk about what happened in Houston. It had, had Houston was as relevant as his days with the Mets in terms of managing because it was about what he could bring in his experiences as a player to the job, not about— his evil and his wrongdoings. It's like the the knee injury. The knee injury had nothing to do with him as a manager. That was the the first way they tried to remember the gotcha for Beltron started with that knee injury. They try to make that an issue from day one. So remember that. But let's talk about going forward because it's important to know as you think about. And and some reports are that the Mets are going to hire a new manager by next week. They got to move quick. I mean, pitchers and catchers of February tenth. We're almost there and you can't just have the team show up to a camp with a bunch of coaches even though that's where I'm going to go the front office the front office is running this this dugout beltron was a manager and he was going to lead the team but the front office was putting together the game plan so this idea that buck shawalter is going to be the next manager That was the direction I wanted to go. If you go back and listen to the original podcasts, I wanted a Girardi, a Shoalwater, lesser extent Dusty Baker. I didn't want them to go the young route because they needed to be right. And I think they were right. I think they had the, the risky pick. But out of all the young managers or unknowns that are now the darlings of baseball, they had one that they had high percentage probability, in my opinion, to get right. So if you didn't go the experience route back in October when the whole off-season's in front of you and you were building the foundation of your next five years and a manager that you hoped would be the next five years, you're not going to go and change gears now. And stop with Terry Collins. Terry Collins was a bad manager in an era when you could get away with Terry Collins. In an era now where you have all this data and a front office managing the dugout and all the information and the meetings and the and the and the strategizing and, and i mean they make it sound like it's NASA these days that's not the guy that's a guy that that's a caretaker that's going to go out give veterans the keys and say do me a favor I'll, keep it clean come to me and like the gym teacher blows the whistle and tells the kids to stop running when they get out of control that's what he'll do and then he'll you know he'll have, he'll manage the media he'll, he'll 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 talk to them that's what they like and he says i'll take care of those guys for you you just you manage the clubhouse it's horrible at young players that's what got him fired This is a younger team. I mean, there is this veterans, and I don't know how good he is with Latino players. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I'm not convinced from what I hear that he was all that great with them. Let's put it that way. Um, But it's not about Terry Collins. This front office put together the coaching staff. So the good news is this coaching staff's going nowhere. Uh, Jeremy Hefner's working with Steven Matz. There was tweets going out about that. So they're doing work. They're doing work already. Uh, They also have these guys in that are already with them. They have a plan already. Uh, Obviously, their manager, their leader, the guy that's bringing them all together, they were meeting just as recently as Wednesday, now is gone. That's why I predict that they're going to go with one of these three guys. They might go with Rojas, who was on the staff last year, DeFrancisco, who has managed before, minor league manager, who's on the staff, uh, or Hensley Mullins. Now, I think anybody who's the manager is going to need a strong bench coach. So if they go at Rojas, they could get away with that because they already have the infrastructure around him with DeFrancisco and Hensley Mullins as the bench coach that worked for Bruce Boche to make it happen. Uh, if they go with Mullins or DeFrancisco, you may have to go and see what kind of veteran bench coach may want to come in this late who hasn't been with the team all offseason. Not that that's the riskiest thing in the world, but not ideal. So I think that the good news is because of the way on the direction they went, they didn't go with a manager that was about them. If Girardi was the guy that this happened to, I think it's a bigger mess because he would have brought in his own staff and you would have had an experienced manager where it would have been all about him. Now it's, it's about the front office and it's about the coaches and the coaches now in baseball, almost like the NFL, where you have your offensive coordinator, you have your defensive coordinator and you have the head coach. Um, the offense isn't going to change when the head coach leaves because the head coach isn't running the offense in the NFL. They bring people in to run the offense. Mets have their pitching coach. Jeremy Hefner's running the pitching staff. That was going to be the case, whether me, you, or Beltron was the manager. So that's the good news in a bad situation. Rojas scares me a little bit because he's so young. He's going to have to manage the media. You've got the media circling the wagon. Um, He was on the staff last year, which is good. But as a quality control coach, the relationship is more friendly than as an authoritarian. Now, I think this clubhouse is really good. And you'll see and you've seen, and I'll get to Pete in a minute, what kind of leader you have in Pete Alonso. So it may not be the end of the world. But who knows? Um, you know he may come in and be a, a baseball version of Jeff Van Gundy. You may have yourself a, a lucky bounce here. You know, Knicks had Donnie Nelson. He was supposed to run the team. He did an awful job. He had a, a fallout with Patrick Ewing, and Jeff Van Gundy rose from those ashes and became a, a great coach. Never know. Maybe all this there's a reason. There's a reason for why things happen, and you never know. Maybe it was just somebody else's time to shine. And five years from now, when the Mets win. And they have the same manager, whoever it may be, that's either on this staff or if they decide to go outside with a candidate they were interviewing, maybe that person was just meant to be the manager. But also don't be surprised, and I'll throw you a scenario that may happen, if Brody Van Wagenen waits the year, and I don't know how the suspension works out because he wanted A.J. Hinch. Make no mistake about it. He wanted A.J. Hinch. I had information on that. I, I, I glazed again on it. I hate doing insider reporting because it always blows up in your face, and it's hard to 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 hang with the big guys on that. He wanted A.J. Hinch, and he wanted to negotiate a deal with Houston to get A.J. Hinch here. God, imagine if that happened and they'd given up draft picks or players, and it just wasn't something Houston was interested in, which tells you how much this has spiraled, that if Houston at, at, at thought at any point this was going to get this bad, they would have handed A.J. Hinch over to the Mets so fast, you you wouldn't know and hit them. Unless there was actually some integrity from Jim Crane. And he said, nah, this is gonna be bad. We can't do this right now because of the sign stealing situation. But remember when the Mets were hiring things, this wasn't out yet. This wasn't a thing. Remember that. So you see, I'm even guilty of that same narrative at that right now as I'm as I'm thinking about it. So that's the good news is that as as bad as this is. The Mets front office is running the dugout, and their coaches are not changing. Maybe one of them is going to get a job. I know that could be a problem, but if I'm from the Mets. I go and say to myself, unless it's a really good opportunity, that's a promotion. Lock your coaches down now, even if it's monetarily. Maybe you got to say, hey, you know, you you. The Mets also don't have to give permission for somebody to go talk to another team. Now it would be bad practice not to allow somebody to become the manager of the Red Sox if you don't want them to manage the Mets or manager of the Astros. But also remember something. These guys are not stupid. They know where they're at now, and they know what the situation is with the Mets. Uh, Beltron is collateral damage. It's not like the Mets were, the vultures were circling the Mets wagon. They don't know what's going to be in Houston, and they don't know what's going to be in Boston. So these, those jobs, as attractive as they are in a vacuum, may not be that attractive right now. And if you go there at a bad moment as a young manager or a first-time manager, uh, you could be putting yourself in a career endangering situation. So maybe that Hensley Mullen situation where, well, I'm the bench coach of the Mets. Mets don't want to put me in as manager. Well, if I go to Boston right now, that's not the job that I think is a good risk for me. Uh, Let me stay here, continue to be a bench coach, and other jobs will open up. Risky both ways, but you understand what I'm uh, talking about. But I I could see a scenario where they bring in a young guy like Ross uh, who does a decent job. But when a veteran manager becomes available, especially if they maybe they play well, but they don't get over the hump or they or they maybe they underachieve um, if that guy's available. And I don't know how that suspension works, being that he was fired. I don't know if that suspension takes place the minute he gets back into baseball. See, I don't know how that happens because it could just be a monetary thing where he doesn't get, doesn't get paid this year. So that would be interesting. And I'm sure the Mets would investigate that. Don't be surprised A.J. Hinch is on the Mets radar as soon as next year that they decide to go a patchwork way with, you know, Rojas or anybody on the roster and, and do that. My gut tells me that it's either going to be Mulins or De Francisco, I really do. And uh, just because they are, and I think De Francisco would, because of his experience, because he's managed the minor leagues, he's been with the team in the system for a couple of years and Mullins could be his bench coach, I think that, to me, would be the safer route than going with a very young first-time manager in Rojas that was on the roster last year as a quality control coach. Big jump from quality control coach to manager. Big jump. And it would be interesting. But they could say and say, hey, look, you're just here to execute the game plan. Let the big boys uh, handle uh, some of the heavy lifting and help you. And uh, you just make sure you don't mess up with the media, which will make for some real boring press conferences. Um, But it is what it is. The most impressive part and the most positive part of this mess of the last three days is Pete Alonso, right away, when this news came down and all the vultures are circling the wagon, tweeted out to everybody Hey, it's a, and I'll paraphrase it, it's about on the field. And we got to do what We got to do in between the lines, it doesn't matter who manages us. And he, right away, in, in an age of social media, in the age of players consuming information differently and having to be managed differently, he led differently. He, he didn't wait till the cameras were on in spring training, he jumped on Twitter right away and said, Guys, it's about us and it's about between the lines. And here's why. This group in particular, because it's the same group with some additions. No major, yeah, Todd Frazier's gone, and Zach Wheeler's gone, but it's the hub of the group. The everyday players are still here. This was a resilient group last year. They went through a lot of garbage last year. They had a manager and a general manager that did not like each other, and they took some huge blows, none bigger than that blown ninth inning in Washington, and they came back. And they still made it a race after that when most teams would have said, this is over, let's go home and crawl up in a ball. And I don't expect anything less. Why would this be different for them? This is the first blow, and it's a big one, and it throws the organization specifically into chaos. But remember something. Carlos Beltran may have been working with them as a coach. He may have been texting and talking to them, but it's the offseason. He wasn't, you know, in that room building the relationship that he was going to build and really locking it down. See, these guys, new managers, new manager day one. Uh, So the fact that it happened now and it didn't happen, I mean, imagine if it happened in March, if the baseball, because baseball is a way of dragging things out and not giving a a rat's you-know-what about anybody but themselves. Imagine if this happened in two weeks, three weeks, four weeks when he was already in the dugout and they had to make a quick change. That would have been really crazy. That would have even made this crazier than Belichick and Billy Martin and everything like that. So personally, if I'm the manager, I make this an us first them mindset coming in and saying, we're the victims here. Nobody believes we can win. Nobody wants to see us see us win. Um, let's go out there and show them. doesn't matter what they throw at us. This is about these guys the guys in this in this room and the guys that are left. And uh, I don't want to say go win it for Carlos, but go win it in spite of this whole situation and show everybody who we are. And I really believe what guys like McNeil and Alonzo and J.D. Davis, uh, Brandon Nimmo, the everyday players, tough guys like uh, Jacob deGrom. And I think Marcus Stroman going to prove to be a really tough guy. Uh, remember, these guys have to make money. These guys have careers. They have to get paid. They can't worry about what Ken Davidoff says or what John Harper says, or Bob Nightingale says. They don't have any time for that. they got to worry about themselves. And you as fans, here's what I'll leave you with. Here's what I'll leave you with. I don't know if any of what I have said over the last 40 minutes or so will mean a darn thing, be right, be wrong. Maybe you just listened to the last 40 minutes and said, this guy's totally off base. But there's one thing I know that I'm right about. And I promise you this. And it may not feel like this right now. You will forget about this, and I guarantee you, come opening day, you're not going to be thinking about, in the sixth inning, Carlos Beltran not being the manager. You're not going to be thinking about the media and what they did to your team and how they wanted to see you. And we'll continue to poke you because what the media wants is to wake up and write clickbait stories that agitate you so that you continue to feel crappy about your team. Because in that scenario, they won. They did their job for the day. And their editor says, good job. Look at all those clicks. Look how you got them all riled up. It doesn't matter if they took a, a, a situation and manipulated it for their own devices. They made you miserable. What you do here is you watch the game. And you watch the game so you could see the team win because you love this team. And from this horrible, horrible modern-day version of Tom Seaver in 1977, in the sense where your team right now has been thrown for a loop and a positive situation has gone completely awry when it shouldn't, you will like this team again. You will get over this. You're going to feel good about the 2020 Mets again. And I think it's still going to be a fine season. And this is just, you know, this is their first losing streak. This is their first bad bounce. This is their first crazy situation. And if you think the Mets are the only team that's competing for a title this year and competing for a division that's going to have a bad day, maybe not of epic proportions, or as crazy as today, you're crazy because everyone's going to have a bad day. And let me tell you, some comeuppance is coming for the Red Sox and some comeuppance is still going to come for the Astros. And don't worry. The Yankees sit back like the Chester Cat and they're just as guilty. And the Dodgers, who are sanctimonious, are just as guilty. Trust trust me, they're doing stuff. And they're going to have their problems because I firmly believe... That at the end, bad behavior always finds people. You saw it happen here with the Astros. Sometimes there's collateral damage, and good good people get taken down. But bad behavior finds bad people, and somehow that all works out in the wash. It may not feel like it; it all works out in the wash. Anyway, um, that's it. You guys have heard enough from me. We're gonna be back with another edition of the podcast on Sunday. I'm hoping to do a Hall of Fame show. Uh, maybe more will come out. Maybe we'll get a guest to talk about this. I have to really think about what, where we're going to take the show. We even canceled the Throwback Thursday. So we were supposed to do a Throwback Thursday, and it didn't even happen. I had a cool one planned for you, but there will be more Throwback Thursdays. I still plan on doing a couple of them before spring training. Unfortunately, with the managerial search and what's going on, um, our plan may have to have to change. I mean, again, January is supposed to be the time to like wind down from the off season, get crazy, go forward with preparing for the season, and have that gap between off season and season where you can maybe do some nostalgic stuff. We may have to change that, but we'll see. Hey, you want to check me out all the time? Go to the talkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Send me an email, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And of course, you can get me on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire i'm your host mike silva enjoy the rest of your day we'll be back with another podcast this weekend digest be well it's all gonna come out in the wash the mets are gonna be fine like keith hernandez said the mets are gonna be fine take care everybody